This podcast is supported by Americans for Medical Progress and was founded and created through the Michael D. Hare Fellowship, awarded annually to support projects that inform and educate the public about the critical role of animal research in furthering medical progress. The fellowship honors the late Dr. Michael Hare, a renowned board-certified laboratory animal veterinarian who dedicated his career to scientific and medical advancements and who was deeply committed to animal welfare and advocacy. Hey, everyone, and welcome into this month's episode of our News Bite editions that Danielle and I have started doing. This is our third one now, and I think they're really just kind of fun in a way for us to, you know, catch up with each other and share some fun stories that we find in the world of, I mean, I want to say live animal related, but they've tended to not always be specifically related to animal research. We do try to you know, stick the animal research related topics. But in general, we just love animals and talking about cool stories involving animals. And today we have a few cool stories about animals. Most of them are animal research related, but there's one that, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch Um, (laughs) and we'll, we'll get to that one. But for the most part, I think we have four stories or four, um, you know, articles to talk about today. One of them having to do with llamas and their antibodies also called nanobodies, apparently, and being used for like an asthma-style inhaler for COVID. And then we have a article from Sports Illustrated, actually, about sledding dogs, which is my one that's a little bit of a stretch. That's and then, and, hope to make it up to everyone for the legislation. That was really boring. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah, before we started the recording this call, that's exactly what I was saying. I, I, I'm sorry, again, still, for the 19 minutes of legislation talk. But this story will make it up to everybody. <laughs> and then you have a couple of things. What are your, what are you yeah. going to talk to us about? Um, we're talking about ferrets and um, nasal spray and COVID. They all kind of relate. And then finally, I'm going to wrap it up with a lobster story because who doesn't love crustaceans? You have a nasal spray story too, huh? That's kind of cool. I yes. think like you kind of copied me because I have um, one Well, too. yours is an inhaler. Mine's yours is like It's like a, still like a nose. spray. Okay. okay. Well, you I wonder what, what if you combined that the <laughs> asthma spray and the nasal inhaler at one time? I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, um, you'd be immune from everything. Everything. All right. Well, I also want to say I'm recording upstairs and not in my basement today, and I don't. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of an improvement, but I don't know if the wife and kids are going to come home during the recording. So if there's a, if there's lots of noise in the middle of it, I mean, we try to edit it out, but we can't edit out everything. So I apologize if there's screaming children in the background at some point. And we also have the newest edition of the Labrat Chat team is this little puppy sitting behind me. So if he wakes up and starts whining, I also apologize. Excellent. No apologies for dog whines. Apologies for children whining, but not for dogs. Yeah, that's fair. Perfect. Man, I forgot. Puppies, by the way, before we get into everything. I'm not sure. They may be more difficult than a newborn. Oh, I definitely thought you were insane when you told me you got a puppy because I feel like you've got enough going on in your life, but that's you. You do you. Yeah. I feel like the, I mean, we had a, our 10 month old was born during the semester um, of my second year during school. And like, I mean, it was, it was fine. You know, I still managed to get through school, obviously. And I can manage and I've gotten through school with kids, but the puppy is, I think that's going to be the death of my 
vet school career. He's just like, I mean, I wake up more than I do with any of the kids. And just during classes, he has to go out. So I'm missing class, taking the dog outside so we can go to the bathroom and not on the floor. Oh. So I mean, yeah. But he's awesome. So you'll far. get through it. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids love him. So, all right. Anyways, the first story of the day, now that we're how far into this are we? We're already three minutes and 54 seconds in. So let's get to it, huh? So anyway, so there's a, there's coronavirus antibodies made by llamas that could be administered to COVID patients in the form of asthma style inhalers. Or we talked about asthma, but I guess you can use them in nasal sprays as well. So we'll just have to see um, where that goes. But so camelids, which are llamas, camels, alpacas, they have nanobodies. I mean, I imagine they have antibodies too, but they have nanobodies, which are basically smaller antibodies. And so these nanobodies can then be aerosolized, from from what I understand, um, through inhalers, and then they could coat the lungs in essence. And what they do is they bind to the spike protein, which everyone that's the big thing, right? The spike protein on the on the coronavirus, and so they bind to that spike protein, and then it prevents it from binding to our cells, where we have that ACE two receptor, which we've talked about on one of the episodes with the Texas Biomed folks. So go back and listen to that episode. Um, I don't remember which, which episode it was. I'll, I'll refer, I'll link to it in the show notes. But, um, so it basically blocks entry of the virus into our cells. And they found that to be effective by, by isolating these nanobodies from llamas. I don't know what made them look into that to begin with. The article didn't say, but researchers from NIH in Maryland um, took these antibodies or nanobodies from an individual llama who we should recognize is named Cormac, by the way. Um, So thanks, Cormac, for that. And that's it. I mean, I don't know if you have anything to say about it, but I just thought it was a pretty cool story. And that'd be a cool way to, you know, treat, and or prevent COVID, you know, just take a little puff of your asthma inhaler and boom, yeah. protection. Yeah. So that that's kind of similar to what I found for um, a study out of, it's a collaboration between Cornell, Columbia University, Irving Medical Center, and Erasmus Medical Center in the Netherlands. So they've developed a nasal formulation that blocks the spread of COVID among ferrets. And they're hoping that the same formulation will have the same effect in humans. Um, but I guess through this collaboration, they've already kind of been working on it with other viruses in the past, but, you know, funding isn't always there. You know, they just kind of have this going on in the background, but now with COVID being at the forefront of everything, they've really hit the ground running. And to reference that same Texas biomed episode, we know that ferrets can sneeze and have that, um, sort of aerosol transmission between each other. So this nasal spray in ferrets right now is actually blocking or um, causing protection for like 24 hours or more. So like the goal of this nasal spray would be like, hopefully it works in humans. And then it would be a uh, something you could throw in your purse or your pocket. And then if you're going to a gathering, like a sports game or a concert where you think you might be exposed and you just want to take a little extra precaution, just spray your nose and it would enable 24 hours um, protection from the virus. So I just think that's kind of a cool thing to keep your eye out for. Hopefully that develops into something. I know that's a 
pretty sweet <laughs> gig, you know, you just yeah. oh, go to a concert, take a couple, just an extra precaution. Yeah. And, uh, I wonder, I mean, I just, <laughs> I could just see how that would play out in actual <laughs> society, like walking into a baseball game and everyone before you come okay. in. Yeah. Yeah, they just have boots set up where you just, they have disposable caps and you go in and you just sniff something. Sniff. <laughs> or maybe oh. they just start, you know, dispensing it in airplanes. Oh, gosh. To everybody. Coming you out choice. of the HVAC system. You're just, you're just, you're just taking it. <laughs> yeah. But, but no, obviously like, joking, but. Yeah. It sounds like good technology. And I, I think that would be a very exciting thing if it does transfer um, into humans the same way they've, they've seen it work in ferrets. So thank you, ferrets. We love them. Yeah. But it's just kind of a cool way to boost your immune system, you know, for a little bit. Yeah. I, I like it for sure. Um, and then, I don't know. What, what do we want to do next? You want to do the Sports Illustrated story? Yeah. Talk about your Huskies. We'll see if you can make up for the legislation boring, boring stuff from the last episode. Redemption. Yeah. So Sports Illustrated, February 2021 edition. So hot off the press. Um, written by L. John Wertheim. Sorry if I said your name wrong. So I'll just give him credit here for this article. But it's a pretty fascinating read if anybody gets Sports Illustrated, which let me just side sidestep here. I don't know if you get this as well, being co-host of Live Brat Chat. I get so many magazine offers for no, free because they nothing. they assume it's like we're like i'm a business oh. and then i have an office and then <laughs> I have people that come in and they want to read magazines <laughs> not knowing i mean i guess magazines don't realize we're in the middle of the pandemic and no one's sitting in an office you know you sit in your car at the doctor now so i don't, I don't i mean maybe that's affecting their industry maybe it's not or maybe that's why i'm getting all these free magazines i mean i'm getting sports illustrated we get all these like hgtv magazines i mean they're they're free. I don't know why they give them to, to businesses for free. You think that would be like your main clientele, but hey. So, anyways, that's why I get Sports Illustrated now. Maybe you can eventually reap some of these perks as well. Okay, hopefully, because so, you know I love sports, right? Not yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, you'd be a lot cooler if you did. So, well, I am pretty but, cool already. So, I know you don't have time for that. I don't have time. Okay. So anyways, take us back to 1925 to a town of Nome. Sorry if I say that wrong. I don't know if it's Nomi or Nome or Noma. We're going to go to Nome, Alaska. So it's just a remote town that sits. It's really closer to, closer to Russia than any other Alaskan city. It's 1925. They only have one doctor. And, you know, he is the town's one doctor. There was a boy that came to him who was sick. They, you know, suspected maybe something viral or something like that. And he goes home and then he unfortunately passes away the next day. And then the next day also, there's a lot more sick people outside of his office. So they're like, well, he changed his differential diagnosis to maybe diphtheria, which was obviously very prevalent back then, except to treat it, they needed a diphtheria antitoxin. And so there's sub-zero temperatures that make travel to Nome, Alaska, nearly impossible back then. The Alaskan Railroad was recently commissioned, but it doesn't go anywhere near this town. Planes can't fly because it's too cold. And the harbor to get to the town is frozen, so you can't get ships there. So how are you supposed to get this antitoxin then? Why would anyone want to live there? 
um, because they're much tougher than either of us are. Apparently, yes, definitely. Okay, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when that boy died, obviously the doctors said, "All right, we need to get this diphtheria toxin in, antitoxin in." So the governor gets involved, and they make out they make up this plan to get the toxin in. Um, which, by the way, also another sidestep. Let's also credit horses here, which the diphtheria antitoxin originally came from, or maybe still does, but originally came from plasma of horses that were immunized against the bacteria that produces the toxin. And then we were able to create the antitoxin and then treat, you know, ourselves in with, with the toxin and prevent it. I mean, it was a hundred percent fatal. So you hear diphtheria and you're like, Oh, it's no big deal. A hundred percent fatal back in the day, back in the day being 1925. All right. So the closest train station with this Alaskan railroad is about 700 miles away. And so the plan was once it arrives via train, they're going to have 24 hour around the clock relay team of sled dogs and people driving those sleds or mushers. Um, about 25 of those people were just going to do this around the clock. Um, and one more caveat, which I don't know how the article didn't really address it. And if it did, I don't know how, how they did it. The antitoxin is inactivated by cold. So there's that to think about. Not like the COVID vaccine where, you know, we hear about these refrigerated or you know, sub-zero temperature trucks that are driving around to keep it cold. Uh, wouldn't have been a problem then if they needed to keep this cold, but this they need to keep it, you know, room temperature. Otherwise, it would have been inactivated. So there, during the course of this relay, they hit blizzards, temperatures dropped below 80 degrees. And the, I don't even know. I mean, even keeping it against but your body, I feel like below, it's right. Yeah, not, but yeah. not, yeah. Okay. 80 below, 80 below. <laughs> yeah. Not below 80. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not in, yeah, right. We're not in the Caribbean. Yes. <sighs> Correct. Which <laughs> our friends, which live in Texas, which we all know have been severely affected by this winter storm and our hearts go out to everybody down in Texas suffering with all of that. Um, you know, but they have six kids, just real quick. And they told us, she, she said the same thing in her text message. They they lost power for three days and that it was, it was 40 below in their house. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know it was that cold out there. Like 40, 40 below what? inside, but it was, it was she meant below, below 40. 40. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was, that was funny. Oh, um, so here I am doing the, doing the opposite, I guess. Yeah, so it was it was eighty below. Um, they somehow managed to keep it active, and the relay was led by a man named Leonard Sapala, who was originally from Norway. So we used to cold temperatures, migrated to Nome with his friend, who uh, struck gold and became very wealthy. And then, but he wasn't. He just moved out there. He had a tough life. Sounds like lots of grief and lots of death in his family. Um, but nonetheless, he was a dog sled racing champion. He was chosen to lead these efforts of the relay to get this antitoxin to Nome. Um, he knew all the routes, you know, and was the best sled racer that they had. And so, like I said, 150 dogs, 20 mushers involved. He individually did about 100 miles of those nearly 700 miles um, by himself. You know, there's, so he did almost nearly twice or triple the distance as anyone else. And Togo was his lead dog who logged more than 4,000 miles sledding each year, which I mean, some people's cars don't even do 4,000 miles a year. And this dog was trekking it through the snow. And in the end, they made this trek possible. They did it in five and a half days. And then mainly thanks to these, you know, 
these brave mushers and these dogs that made this incredible sacrifice and got through this cold to get the antitoxin to this town and saved many people. So these dogs, why not, you know, obviously dogs are used in research, but in this story, we're just talking about dogs in general. This is my stretch here. Just thanking the dogs that can put up and deal with these types of environments and this cold and can be used to deliver medicine you know, maybe in a different way than what we normally think being through animal research, but they're still delivering medicine in essence to this town. Not that it was pretty cool. And, you know, these dogs still, still compete up there. I mean, obviously now in the modern day, they can get, we can get medicine almost anywhere with modern travel. But back in the day, that was the way it was done. And I just thought it was a pretty cool story. So yeah. And that's like, I mean, it's back in the day, but it's a hundred years ago. It's not like wildly back in the day. It's- yeah. I mean, that's like great, great, grandpa you know yeah yeah dang all right so go sled dogs yeah and i think um yeah and we can we should talk i know that the sled races up there have you know veterinarians that are involved in the care of all those animals and stuff we should talk to one of those veterinarians one of those days i believe and i'm sorry or never mind i've lost my train of thought all right yeah cool Anyways, yeah, go ahead. Talk about your um, your next story. I forgot what it was. Lobsters. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck following that one. All right. Uh, I yeah. hope it- well, it sort of goes from like one cold climate to another cold climate. Now we're going to go back to Maine. And this is like current day, like not 1925. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I found this cool article from um, University of New England, and they actually just acquired a an extremely rare yellow lobster because a lobsterman was um, doing his thing, getting his lobsters off the coast of Maine. And he noticed that one of the lobsters was like totally yellow. So he, he thought, well, it's pretty unique and rare. So he contacted um, the school of Marine and environmental uh, programs at university of new England. And they coordinated to get this lobster to them for research purposes, because they actually have um, a grant through NSF with the Maine Department of Marine Resources, uh, Bigelow Labs for Ocean Sciences, and Hood College in Maryland to study the impact that a warming Gulf of Maine is having on lobster larvae and their success in growing to adulthood. So, and some other articles online said that it's like a one in 30 million chance of seeing or let alone catching a yellow lobster and they named him banana so of course <laughs> yeah well he's really cute so i think you'll put this in the show notes too right so people can go check yeah, out this sure. little lobster but i think this really speaks volumes to if the public is aware of what research is going on in their state or locally you know it's it's just really cool that a lobsterman saw this unique critter and thought, Hey, maybe some researchers want to use it for their project. And he found someone to take care of the lobster. And now this lobster is adjusting well and living a cushy life in a fancy tank being very rare. And he's like a unicorn. So that's my lobster yeah. story. Yeah. You uni- know, unicorn lobster stories. Yes. I mean, <laughs> we, I think and we may be the first podcast ever to talk about a cute lobster. I mean, to put those two words together. So congratulations on that. (laughs) Are they? I don't know if I've ever seen a not cute animal. Maybe like 
spiders? That's not an animal, but a critter? I it don't is. know. Yeah, it's, I still like, an, it's still an animal. Yeah, Cockroach, still an animal. But even them, like, they are kind of neat looking. They're just gross. I don't yeah. know. I think I'm just biased. I really, I, I mean, really Some people think have I, pet cockroaches, so. Yeah, like all critters, or even tarantulas with their little fuzzies. Like, that's cute. Yeah, I had a pet tarantula. That's I mean, cute. don't I don't want their fuzzies, like, getting blown in my face, because I understand they're quite irritating, but... <laughs> they are cute (laughs) yep for sure and the lobsters too i mean i've you know we on instagram posts we posted a story and i think a lot of people know about horseshoe crab blood being used in biomedical research and being used as like a preservative or a way to detect contaminants and like vaccines and stuff medical products so I, i believe lobster blood is also a um something that has the potential to maybe fight has like antibacterial or antiviral or anti-cancer properties or something like that. So I think that's something they can also look into. Not necessarily with banana because you don't, I mean, he's, he's the unicorn. He's the unicorn. Yeah. But in general, you know, lobsters still do play a role in biomedical research. Almost all, I mean, it's just crazy all the different animals involved in the, in the field, you know? Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, we know that what is it like 95 or 98% of all lab animals are basically mice and rats, but there really are, like so many other uses and uh, projects with these other critters. And like today we got to talk about what llamas, lobsters, ferrets, and your dogs kind of, I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's yeah. And then we have, and then the new puppy here is also awake from his nap and biting on my finger as we speak. Oh, good. So I'm, I'm glad we're towards the end. <laughs> of wrapping this one up. Um, I also want to touch back on the legislation real quick because legislation did get passed. So it may affect, I mean, I guess not, maybe not, not you because it impacts dogs specifically, but they, it's on governor Ralph Northam's desk to sign legislation to require institutions to adopt out dogs after they're being used in research. So we'll see how that potentially impacts, you know, VA research and stuff like that, where they do use a lot of dogs here. Well, does that legislation does that legislation have a clause in it for like projects that require, you know, euthanasia and tissue collection or something, or is it just studies that when possible uh, it must be? You know, there's different. Categories. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I don't. I don't have all the all the details, but okay. I'm sure. We'll watch if, for it. I'm sure if the governor signs it, we'll see that all the details come out and institutions begin to work on trying to implementing it and whether or not they have trouble or or what, or if they're already doing it, maybe it won't change them anything at all, but. Anyways, I think that pretty much covers everything we wanted to talk about. We're, you know, almost 23 minutes in now. So we'll let everyone get back to their day. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Lab Rat Chat, our News Bite editions. We appreciate everyone tuning in. And remember, just get out there and rate and review our show on iTunes or wherever you can rate and review shows. Tell your friends, family, coworkers about us and check out the Librat Chat merch store. We have some cool stuff there and we're working on some new designs for that as well that I think everyone would like. So go check them out. Cool. Thanks. All right. See you guys. Bye.